You are listening to the Enormo Cast. Hey there. Is the carefully curated nonchalant image exuded by your layers of canvas work clothes no longer cutting it at the cliff? Or are those black yoga pants just a little too sheer for broad daylight? Well, Sportiva has the answer with climbing apparel with enough colorful panache to make you feel as sassy as Adam Andre eating a cannoli with Claudia Cardinale on a gondola in Venice. Now that's continental, Adam. From a day at the Craig's casual to high-tech outerwear, Sportiva wants you to look good so you can climb good or well. Well, their English isn't that amazing, but their new spring apparel line is. So check it out at Sportiva.com or your local shop or even their new outlet store in Boulder, Colorado. La Sportiva, proud sponsor of the Enorma cast. Listen, uh, uh, where are you playing in town? You, are you playing here? We're doing the, uh, the Normo Dome, whatever it is. It's terrific. Oh, it's yeah, a big place. That's, out. Out. That's a big nice. place. You sold it out. I'll see. We really should. Look, you better get up there before you panic. Those pens are loose. You're very good. I have really enjoyed having them with you. We'll make it. I don't think so. But we shall continue with style. Today's show is brought to you by Black Diamond Equipment, with support from Maxim Ropes. And the fine folks at La Sportiva. And don't forget our charter sponsor, Bonfire Coffee. Go to bonfirecoffee.com and enter Enorma at checkout for a discount on great coffee and to support the Enorma cast. And now back to the show. Hello and welcome to the Enorma Cast. This is your host, Chris Gluce. It is March 24th, about 12.30 a.m., late night, early morning, depending on how you look at it. This is episode 125 of the Enorma Cast, a conversation with boulderer, highball boulderer, and budding trad climber Nina Williams. But before we get to that, there's a small production note, is that we got kicked out of my hotel room. In the middle of this, uh, we had overstayed our welcome and had to move locations about halfway through, a little over. And the only thing to note about it is that I changed from my kind of more elaborate computer-based setup to my portable, and there's a bit of a sound change. But don't be frightened by that. We moved over to Nina's hotel room, and uh, we lucked out and, and had a James Lucas sighting. And so you'll get a small cameo from James Lucas. Okay, with that in mind, let's get to the interview we had tried to do this a couple times and had to reschedule, so I'm very happy we finally got it done. And I was stoked that Nina is so forthcoming in this interview. We go down a bunch of different paths and learn a lot about her. So hope you guys enjoy it, and I will see you on the other side of the conversation with Nina Williams. Climbing girls and boys know that Indian Creek season is upon us, which means only one thing. More profile pics of people doing yoga in front of desert sunsets. But what it really means is we're talking about camps. Where the hell are we going to get enough camps? 
And with the introduction of the ultralights in 2016, the Black Diamond Camelot still reigns supreme when it comes to plugging up those mega splitters with more swagger than a crusty lifer lapping incredible handcrack for the 140th time. Wait, that might be me. Anyway, Camelots, ultralight or not, are the go-to cam in the des and beyond. You know it, I know it, even the guidebook knows it. So if you want to bang out the last 10 feet to the chains with confidence, go to blackdiamondequipment.com or your local shop and get a few to throw on the gear pile as you and your friends get ready for yet another best day ever in the creek. And remember, when you support Black Diamond, you support the Enormacast. doing some boozing last night so did you compete mm-hmm. y- you did mm-hmm. how was it uh it was interesting actually i uh so i competed at the 2017 dynamic last night and um i had a kind of a tough red point round in that uh i haven't been seriously competing for about a year i've done some minor ones last year but nothing too crazy um and uh so red point round was tough i felt felt good for a little bit had a big nose dive mentally bounced back from that enough to make it into finals and then uh the finals round last night we had three boulder problems mm-hmm. and it's on-site format so um i you know it's a whole big crowd cheering for you and you have four minutes to try and do this one boulder problem uh and the first boulder problem i got on i did not make it off the start holds Oh wow! Okay, so <laughs> it's a little bit of a drag. This and this is the second time it's ever happened to me. He's like, "Come on!" Yeah, everyone's just like, and <laughs> the like, the MC oh, is just oh, like, "Yeah, you know, <laughs> cheer on, folks. She needs it." And you're just, and in my head, it's just four minutes of long torture. Just ah, <laughs> uh, I, I can't, I can't. Oh my god! And then time is up, and I'm just like, "What, what can I say?" You know, I right. big do this big shrug to the crowd, and it's embarrassing. You know, you're just like, "What?" I'm I'm supposed to be a professional rock climber. Right. I can't make it on the start holds of this climb. Um, but luckily, uh, the other two boulder problems that we had were a bit more suited to my style. Um, not that the first boulder problem was not suited to me, but I, I, it's a totally mental thing. And sometimes I just break down in on-site comps and I find one piece of beta that I'm convinced works and it's the only way and I get tunnel vision and I just do it over and over again and it never works. <laughs> um, so the other two problems were more uh, suited to me. I was able to uh, top both of them and I placed third. All right. So That's well, not bad for yeah, not getting not off bad. the first. <laughs> yeah. For having like that beat down uh-huh, instantly. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. That's all right. You just endeared yourself with all of us be- or yourself with all of us because there's many boulder problems where I'm just like sitting on the ground like scooting my feet back and forth no what about no what about this direction no what about this direction mm-hmm. and yeah it's you know that's one of the reasons that i can't boulder but um yeah so what does your climbing like look like right now um in terms of like what not right now meaning because we're stuck in winter and you're probably climbing indoors a ton mm-hmm. but you know in terms of your motivations Give me a, a feel for like your competition versus your outdoor climbing versus, you know, what yeah, those yeah. things are looking like right now. So uh, in general, so I've been climbing for about 14 years and I've primarily uh, done bouldering and competition climbing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but within the past two years or so, I started branching out from that. Um, it started when I really got into high ball bouldering. And uh, there's just something about that mental control uh, that that 
peace that one finds when you feel 100% on a climb way off the ground. And obviously, there's always risks. You know, rocks can break, a bird can go and shit on your head, and you can, like, fall off. But uh, generally, you know, when you're sure you're not going to fall, it's the achieve this uh, tranquility. So I really got into highball boulders because of that. <clears throat> but I also realized it's not a sustainable career path as far as climbing. You know, if I keep on pursuing highball boulders all the time, I'm going to get hurt at some point. Um, so I dove a little bit more into traditional climbing um, because I felt that same mental control when you're up way off the deck and you've got a piece, you know, by your feet that you don't really trust and the pieces below that you're not really sure about. And it's, it's really scary, uh, but you still need that mental control to get through that. Um, and it's still technical rock climbing. So, um, that being said, uh, I'm still pursuing high ball boulders and trying to find a balance between, uh, going after tri climbing and then, uh, getting up high on boulders without trying to kill myself either. Yeah. It's, uh, the balance is a bit hard to find right now. Yeah. Well, l- let me ask you a few questions about high ball bouldering. I don't think it's ever come up on the show. You know, basically, you're climbing above pads with spotters, but you get to a point where, you know, even with that stuff, there's probably a good chance that you're going to break something, mm-hmm. you know, miss the pad or come stumbling off of it, all those sorts of things. So it's sort of like, I guess you might think of it as, I mean, I guess you could probably possibly die, like, off the top of one of those Peabody's, but likely you're going to like live, but you're going to mess yourself up. Mm-hmm. Right. Is that kind of like, yep. I guess where it's like soloing bouldering, but you know, not a 2000 foot for sure. You're going to die kind of yes. drop. Yeah, for sure. So I've always been curious, like, do you guys, guys, girls, uh, gender neuter, um, get, do you down climb a lot or, or is there more of like, you get to like, maybe your, your sort of perceived, like, into the no fall zone and and if you don't think you got it you jump off beforehand or what what does it look like when you're when you're in that zone because you know I, personally I've always been a little bit scared of bouldering um partially because you know and you know for those of you playing the back in my day game drink um <laughs> That we started bouldering without pads. It was, uh, you know, the John Sherman, you know, or the. It was actually, we. I think everybody got it from the Bloussards in uh, in in Fontainebleau. Is that oh, you had little, a little like, carpet, carpet. Uh-huh. you had a, yep. a square carpet, which was to wipe your feet. You know, you also tried to land on it because it was like, you know, slightly softer than the mm-hmm. dirt or rocks, but it was really to wipe your feet, and then you were off and running, and so. Yeah those jarring falls are still in my head, but also I've aged out of like even jumping off the top of the, the climbing wall in the gym, um, <laughs> to where that kind of hurts. So anyway, there's no way in hell I'm ever going to highball boulder, um, as, as, a, as like a specific pursuit, I might, you know, make a mistake and get so high off the ground on something that I start to get totally scared. Yeah. But anyway, so yeah. So talk to me about highball bouldering. Is there a threshold? Do you jump off? Do you, do you get down, good at down climbing? So, like, so for me, I mean, so there's a, a few different ways to approach highball bouldering. Some people uh, go ground up a sense where they don't check out the holds at all. Um, they do it kind of the old school way. They will, and some people even use minimal pads. Um, they, they just want to do it in this really pure fashion, which I think is, totally badass and respectable and awesome that being said i don't do that i'm a full supporter for me um 
getting on a rope, uh, checking out the moves, climbing the whole thing, uh, especially if it's really tall, doing all the moves <clears throat> with uh, a rope and, and knowing 100% that I can do that. Because the reason why I highball boulder is not necessarily uh, for the danger, mm-hmm. but it's for that complete control of feeling safe up right. there, of knowing that I have physically done the moves. Like I, I know it's possible for my body. So if it's possible for my body, it's possible for my mind. So it takes away that physical uncertainty mm-hmm. and puts it all in my head. And it's like, well, your body can do it. Is your mind up for it? Right. So when I get on a really tall climb, um, there haven't been too many moments where I felt that uncertainty and been like, Oh, I need to down climb. That's actually only happened once. And when that did happen, um, uh, I was actually trying to ground up. I, I didn't, I didn't really check out the holds on a rope. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, <laughs> um, it was a new climb. It hadn't been done yet. Uh, so all the holds were uncertain and sketchy. I'd like check them out from above. You were able to kind of brush them, you know, climb up this other side and check them out. But, um, yeah, I got up to the top, um, felt really uncertain, and I, because I didn't know if I could do the moves or not, I was like, ah, just like had to down climb and freak out and fall, and um, it was really unpleasant. <laughs> the fall hurt, you know, it kind of sucked, <laughs> yeah. and I was like, well... I can imagine it kind of sucked. Yeah, I was like, that wasn't very fun, I don't want right. to do that again. Right. <laughs> so, I definitely highball boulder, um, <laughs> not for that necessary, for not for seeking sure. out that sure. sense of danger. But uh, again, yeah, for feeling safe. So, you know, in a in a sense, like historically, then it's sort of like uh, it's kind of like um, head point bouldering in mm-hmm. a way too, right? Mm-hmm. In, in the sense that with those bigger leads, which actually, you know, that head pointing really is something that you think of the the grit stone. A lot of them, they even debate like whether it's just worth bouldering it, you know, because they're only this high or that high. But uh, so, yeah, so we're talking about kind of a, a rehearsed style that gets you sorted out um, before you get in up there. But well, let me ask you this. If, have you ever done us, you know, done your, your work, done, done your prep and then got up there and, and been like, whoops, I didn't quite get where I needed to be on this thing? Uh, you know, or that- have, you, have you mostly like hit it out of the park right? where you got it wired enough that like, okay, I've got this. Thing. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've generally gotten it pretty wired. The one time where it wasn't a hundred percent wired was probably the one climb that I should have for sure had gotten it wired. And that was, um, footprints, this V nine in, uh, uh, buttermilk's, um, off the on the Grand Poppy Body Boulder, uh, the thing it's probably about fifty five feet or so, maybe sixty. I'm not entirely sure. It could even be it could be short, a little bit shorter. But um, basically, the V nine part is at the bottom. It's mm-hmm. the, all the hard moves are like only fifteen feet off the ground. And that's how I used to solo in Joshua Tree. <laughs> I'd, fi- <laughs> I'd find the roots. I knew like oh the crux is right here. Like, oh yeah, the, uh-huh. and then the rest is like cruiser yeah. yeah those are my favorite types of highballs when yeah, the hard parts at the bottom and then you just <laughs> cruise on up <clears throat> um so the first day i worked footprints um one of my friends had a top rope up and i was like well i might as well just go see what the top's like so i top roped it once did it all clean it felt you know 
pretty easy. The moves up top are can't be harder than V2, V3 at absolute max maybe. But um, I so I top ripped it once and felt good. Oh, cool. But I hadn't figured out the crux moves at the bottom. There's this really big dino move that I didn't really have much faith in myself in doing. Um, so I came back the next day. Uh, some more folks were working it. There were a bunch of pads. And I thought, oh, you know, I'll, I'll work out the crux moves, figure out the beta. Um, so I found a way around the dyno and did the move and I thought, Oh, it'll go like this, this thing will can actually, is actually possible. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and then I thought, well, okay, I'll just try it from the start, see where it goes, you know, f- see how I feel through the crux. And as it, as it goes, I did it from the start and found myself at the lip staring up at the head wall. And I knew that I'd only done it once on top rope. Uh, and I thought, well, there's only one way to go from here. Cause at that point, once you're on the head wall, you're already really t- far off the ground anyways. And I thought, you know what? These moves aren't bad. I've done it before. You know, it, it was that meant that mentality that came in, into mind. It was like, you've done these moves before you can do them again. They're not hard. So I made my way up blah, 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 blah. and then, uh, I was about three quarters of the way up the wall and there's this one one little foot move that I had forgotten that uh, when I was on rope, I, I didn't think about it at all. And if you, if I had been two feet off the ground or five feet off the ground or 10 feet off the ground, I also wouldn't have thought about it. But because I'm 50 feet off the ground, every little detail comes, is, um, enhanced. Mm-hmm. So when I am 50 feet off the ground <laughs> on, on footprints and I had to do this tiny little foot cross on a glassy, on a glassy little piece of rock, I had a moment of like, uh, like, Oh my God, like, don't, don't freak out. And I, I, it's not, and I, it wasn't this inner monologue of like, Oh my God, Oh my God, don't freak out. You know, I'm scared. I'm scared. It was this really calm sense of just like, Ah, it's hard to explain. I was I was breathing. I could feel my breathing in my head, and I felt the nervousness start to expand in my chest. Uh, but I just thought the my, the only phrase that went through my head was, "You've done this before. Mm-hmm. You've done this before. You can do it again." And also this pure knowledge in my head of you cannot fall. Like right. you can't fall right now. You will not allow yourself to fall. Like and that's it. That's that's what's not going to happen. <laughs> um, so I made it through the move totally fine uh, and got to the top. And then once I got to the top, all this adrenaline just released and mm-hmm. I started hyperventilating and being like, oh my God, I did it. I did it. It's so exciting. Um, and yeah, I, that's, that was, so yeah, that's been the only time where right. I've really, I've had a moment of doubt. Do you think that, I mean, it was palpable and noticeable when you got to the top. Do you think observers had any idea there was this like brief moment up there like mm-hmm. did, did did your did your spotters sort of like expand outward like oh my god how are we gonna catch this girl from from 50 feet oh yeah moment? okay so the buttermilks you know it's always kind of busy it's yeah, always yeah. kind of busy there it and got quiet and, the, and there were people watching me and i had some folks come up to me afterwards and they were like yeah we saw you pause at the top and i was definitely like my i think my leg or my arm was shaking a little bit when i made the move i don't actually remember feeling that at all but it was noticeable sure and folks went up to me afterwards they were like yeah that was a little scary and i was like yeah i was like sorry sorry you know didn't (laughs) nine one oh no delete Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah all right well that's cool good for you well done i'm glad you're still here (laughs) me too um in, in one one piece so mm-hmm. well cool I, I that's that's interesting because yeah I, I i guess i hadn't even really made um personally made those 
or knew that there were these distinctions even in highballing where there were these like um you know these sort of like okay this is how it has to be done but i guess when you get into into playing games with climbing which is kind of what we're always doing but you know we've got all these self-imposed rules whether we're rope climbing sport climbing track climbing you know there's all these things you're supposed to do not supposed to do so and when you get into that kind of stuff yeah i'm sure there's there's like ways do you do you feel peer pressure i mean in terms of of like having one style versus another i mean are the are the are the no pad like ground uppers smarmy about their style or push Uh, ever like do you ever feel anyone pushing you towards that uh i think that people that do ground up style are very proud of that yeah as, nice way as they should be. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, this isn't just in the... I mean, this is across climbing. I mean, yeah. Style battles. Yeah, right style and right. I think anyone... I think people, if they feel that their style is um, pure and awesome and great, they're very proud of it mm-hmm. and they like to be vocal about it. Um, that being said, I, I, I haven't felt any peer pressure from others to do ground up because in the end, it's it's that person's it's my decision it's someone else's personal decision to do what they want to do and you don't want to be the one responsible for telling someone else hey you should do a ground up scent and mm-hmm. then having that person or me or whatever go and like break their leg sure. or die or something nobody wants that responsibility right. um so i think it's it's cool for people to be proud of what they do to be open about it um i don't think it's cool for to be peer pressured to feel peer pressured mm-hmm. or any or any mm-hmm. of that no absolutely i was sort of curious yeah you know yeah. the waves of of social media and, and which mm. we might talk about a little bit later, but yeah, there's, you know, it's always been there. Um, but the internet can like heighten a lot of those arguments and peer yeah. pressure and, yeah, and criticisms and things like that. So, um, but that's cool. I mean, if you're, you're up there 50 feet off the ground without a rope, you know, you got to respect that, uh, regardless of how you ended up there, I mm-hmm. think. So, um, <laughs> Oh, I wanted to ask you real quick, too, about um, you mentioned, you know, sort of expanding into trad climbing. Um, you, you sort of have, you know, kind of like I feel like and you can correct me on this, like the it's almost like the new the new kind of traditional entry into climbing, you know, the climbing gym uh, as a kid and then eventually having having opportunities to climb outside, having to decide where to put your efforts, where to, you know, that's. Mm-hmm. You know, I have my own old guy version of how people used to get into climbing, and that's, you know, now I think what happened to you is is much more standard. So as you look to get into big climbs, uh, more climbs that are focused on gear and technical things with ropes and everything else, what is your uh, what is your pathway into that? Do you have are you climbing with people who are showing you the ropes um what's going on with that like as you've chosen to be like i'm gonna do that now so when i was growing up in the climbing gym um my coach had a really big influence as far as being a mentor so when i wanted to get into traditional climbing i thought well i'm gonna need someone more experienced than me to teach me what to do because i'm not like i don't feel comfortable going out and getting into something that i can't get myself out of uh so lately um I've been hanging out with uh, James Lucas and having him show me around Yosemite. He was uh, someone that came to mind first because he has so much experience in Yosemite. And I, I went to Yosemite for my first time a few years ago, and it was fucking awesome. Like, so, 
so rad. I can't, I can't even, I, I'm sure everyone who's been to Yosemite knows what I'm feeling. You know, it's, it's just an incredible place. So I thought, okay, I want to spend a lot of time here. I want to learn how to climb here. I love the climbing. I love the scenery. Who, who can I climb with that has enough experience? And is that, is someone that I enjoy hanging out with? Um, and James was one of the first people that came to mind. So yeah, getting into uh, something new, uh, like tra- traditional climbing, having a, a good mentor is, is really important to me. The reason I ask that is that, yeah, there's, it's not such a clear path anymore. And, uh, you know, I've mentioned in, in the past that, like, I feel like the, the, the sort of mentorship regime is strained uh, because of the, like, there's like a choke point of all these people coming out of the gym wanting to learn this stuff. And, uh, you know, there's not that many people that are willing to kind of take their time to bring somebody along but anyway so i was just kind of curious about that let me go back to your um your your youth your where did you grow up so i grew up in new england i'm from rhode island originally but i uh, have climbed all around new england right okay and um you know like i said sort of a youth kind of standard youth entry into the climbing um but you recently wrote an article in in rock and ice um that i thought would be an interesting place to talk about a little bit about youth climbing what it did for you things like that um if people haven't read it, it what was it called something it had the word cheater in it It was literally called the cheater the cheater right <laughs> and it was a story of you uh fudging your cards at bouldering comps um mm-hmm. getting caught uh and you know the sort of shame the 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 learning process the the kind of um disdain from the community that came out of it at least for a moment which I thought was like, you know, it's right on the cover. It's like Nina Williams cheater, you know, and then I was like, whoa, okay, cool. And it's short and, you know, you kind of go through this thing. And, and I thought there was like, there's weight to it. Um, you know, there's some epiphanies in it. But at the same time, when I was done with it, being, you know, a 45 years old and having taught high school and I'm like, yeah, like, you know, Kids, teenagers make those sorts of decisions all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, like, mm-hmm. you know, when I would talk to parents and, and they would be defending, you know, the, the fact that the kids said, oh, I turned that paper in. And, you know, they're like, they told me they turned it in. I'd be like, look, he's 15. He lies to you for sport. <laughs> like, it's like, it's like what happened. So, mm-hmm. you know, there was weight to it. But at the same time, like I was at the end of it, like, you know, this is such a forgivable thing. Um, but then I started to think about it and just think about youth climbing in general. So can you talk maybe a little bit about that? Although I don't think we need to get too much into the details of the article, but talk a little bit about what those, that youth climbing and that team climbing did for you positively, but also did you, you know, was it part of like the pressures of acceptance that like pushed you to kind of play those games and and fudge your things and stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. So, so long story short with the article, I essentially, um, wrote in initials and a judge's card, uh, to get higher points on a competition. I got caught, uh, (laughs) 
No, you got you got away with it once, right? Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah, and then you got caught. Uh huh. So okay. so I cheated in a regional competition to get to nationals. Didn't get caught. Made it to nationals. Got fourth. Yay! Got. How old were you about? I was fourteen. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, and then because I got away with it, I continued to cheat, uh, and then got caught eventually. Um, was had all these repercussions. I had to write letters to my uh, coaches, my teammates, uh, my competitors, and my gym employees, and I had to read them out loud. I was I had to return my trophy and my jacket from nationals. I was banned from the sport the next sport climbing season, but I had to volunteer uh, in all of the competitions. I had to play. <laughs> Shit. Yeah, it was a it was a you rough have to time. wear a big red C on your chest. Yeah, I felt like it. I felt like I was branded in my forehead. Right. Um, well, good. I mean, you yeah, know, like... which, yeah. I, but it, it was a really good thing that happened to me because if I hadn't been caught, I probably wouldn't be where I'm at in climbing today. I probably would have quit climbing, or something else would have happened. Something bad. I don't really know. But I, it, it was a very good thing. Right, because it yeah. was probably. I mean, you're not like a horrible person, so there was probably this ounce of poison in it every time you did it anyway. Yeah. Whether Mm -hmm. they'd have caught you or not. Yeah. And yeah, so you'd have walked away from climbing because it would have had this like poison feel to it eventually. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. And it all started uh, within myself, Uh, partly because, you know, I was on this climbing team and it was a really good experience for me having my friends, having my coaches. But part of it was uh, my climbing team was, they were all men they were all boys all men um i had one other female teammate uh but we uh, kind of had a falling out after all of this happened for various reasons that does kind of irrelevant but um anyways my whole climbing team uh were guys and i felt this inner pressure to prove myself uh that i was just as strong as them you know and stronger even and i had to prove to my coaches that i uh, was a great good climber Um, And it wasn't anything from my coaches or my parents being like, you have to win. You have to do better than you are now. It was all coming from inside of myself. So because of that, um, I felt like if I could prove I was just as strong as the guys, if I could prove I uh, could hang, um, then I would be more readily accepted. I would be popular. I'd be like the cool girl, you know. Um, (laughs) uh, And then that's where the uncertainty came into play of like, oh, well, am I am I as as cool or am I as good of a climber if uh, if I don't do well in this competition, if I don't do this climb, um, will they think I'm not cool? You know, will they start to not like me? And it's just, it's silly things. I'm a teenager, right? So all these different things going through my head, which caused me to be like, well, just this once I'll write in someone's initials on this climb that I basically did, right? You know, I did all the moves. I just fell off the end. I can do it. Yeah. I basically did it. I I was brown pointing. I'm trying, that's a side note. That's a term I'm trying to coin brown pointing, which is when you do all the moves in your head and you you play it out in your mind you're like oh i basically did that climb okay brown pointed it (laughs) bag pointing i don't know Uh blur pointing yeah well you're brown pointing because you're so full of shit right (laughs) um but yeah so i uh so it really all stemmed from that desire to be accepted and to be cool to my peers Mm -hmm. uh and it was all this inner pressure that just kept on building up and building up so in terms of again like let's talk about that the the climbing team thing i you know, sports in general, youth sports, they've always come packaged as this like, you know, it's good for kids. They learn teamwork. They learn leadership. They learn blah, blah, blah. You know, like that, that's that been the theory for, you know, actually youth sports aren't even 100 years old. 
in terms of the way we do them now. Mm -hmm. um, it was actually seen as like, you know, there was a point where there was this big social movement that, that kids are soft and, and it, life is too easy. You know, as, as kind of as like a more of a middle class and sort of a leisure class like came up and that was sort of, I mean, that's always been the theory behind them. Like, let's toughen these kids up and, you know, they're all a bunch of soft little, yeah. little dough kids, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, and as a teacher, I was a teacher, you know, a uh, high school teacher, and I, I've always had a slightly uh, either ambivalent or a little bit contrasting idea because I, I've often seen like all those things that come out of sports and teamwork and all those things being really good. But then there is that other side of the coin, which is this pressure, whether it's imagined or a lot of times it's real. I mean, coaches yell at their kids. They, you know, like, this is how you motivate people. And nine of the kids are being motivated and one of them is taking it completely the opposite way. Mm -hmm. So, and I also, you know, a lot of times found that there was an elitism to some of the kids that were on these teams and, you know, every day they're being told how great they are and, um, you know, while they're disregarding everything else in their life. So what do you think, you know, positive negatives on the whole, you know, was the youth climbing like a great experience for you, a fair to middle experience? What, what do you think about that? And then also, is it good for like teenage girls to have these pressures on them? You know, what, what's your kind of ideas in terms of youth climbing, whether it was great, bad, somewhere in between? Yeah. So from my personal experience, uh, it was really good after I got caught. Before I got caught, uh, it was pretty it was it was pretty rough. I was put in a dark place. Um, I wasn't climbing for the right reasons. And I had to learn that lesson the hard way. But once I got caught and I realized what I was doing, um, it it was the pressure not entirely disappeared, but it's almost like I took that part of myself and I locked it away. And I thought I just don't ever want to revisit that aspect of myself uh, again, because I don't want, I don't ever want to feel the need to cheat. Uh, and that being said, I think it affected the rest of my youth competition climbing into my competition today, uh, in that I never felt that burning desire to win or to do, mm -hmm. to do, to be the best or to beat everyone else, uh, because I didn't want to access that. What I saw as that dark part of myself. So the rest of my youth climbing competitions, you know, I, I've, I had placed well in comps. Uh, I've podiumed fairly often. Uh, I, uh, but I've never been like the winner. I've never been w driven by that need or desire to win. Um, Compared to youth climbers of today, I think that's uh, a much higher pressure now, especially now that climbing uh, is getting into the Olympics um, and indoor climbing is seen more as a or climbing in general is being treated more as a more as a sport versus a lifestyle. Uh, and I think um, the climbers, uh, the youth climbers today f feel that difference. A lot. Yeah. So then you transitioned at some point into either wanting to or just naturally into being um, a professional climber. Um, what did that look like in terms of just your experience with it coming out of, I mean, high school? Did you go to college? What what did your sort of post <laughs> post like young competitive yeah. world look like? Becoming a professional climber um, wasn't ever something I tangibly thought about in my mm -hmm. mind. I was like, mm -hmm. I'm going to grow up to be a professional climber necessarily. But I knew that I wanted to climb for the rest of my life and be involved in professional climb or in to and. I wanted to be involved in climbing in general. Right. Uh, so that's that's all I wanted to do. It, it was just this evolution of, well, I want to keep climbing. I want to keep climbing. How are, 
uh, what are ways, what are things I can do to keep climbing all the time? Right. And I, it's like, well, I have to make money somehow. How can I make money through climbing? Uh, and then it evolved into this, um, this lifestyle of, mm-hmm. okay, I'm going to keep representing brands. I'm going to get sponsors. Uh, hmm, I need to start making money. How can I start making money through my brands? Uh, and I just develop relationships with these companies uh, that support my adventures and support my dreams, which is, you know, super, super awesome and um, not not really typical. You know, it's not uh, becoming a professional climber isn't easy in a lot of ways because it's not, you know, we don't make a lot of money. <laughs> we have to compromise climbing uh, for our jobs, ironically. Right. Uh, and uh, and we're trying to market to a bunch of people that do have to pay for gear. So um, it's been uh, quite the balance going from, you know, just like a teenage climber in New England to a professional climber out here in Salt Lake. I wanted to ask you a little bit about the pressure of being a, a professional athlete. And you just sort of explained your relationship with your companies. That's what makes you a professional athlete. But what about... Uh, the pressure from the public, you know, we've got the internet, you know, is sort of this like lurking demon at times in terms of professional climbers or any climbers, you know, we talked a little bit about that with the highball discussion, mm-hmm. uh, social media, whether you're making it or, or you're getting the comments that reflect on it. Like mm-hmm. what about that pressure? Not only to perform, to be honest, to be authentic, you know, to do rad shit, like you had this, you had this sort of fraught relationship with pressure when you were 14, right. as you know, 99 out of a hundred teenage girls do or teenage boys for that matter. I think I've always thought like 14, 13, 14 is really rough for girls. 15, 16 is like a little bit more of the time for boys. But anyway, now that you're an adult, but you're in this, you know, fairly pressurized business in a small way. Um, but climbers are really ready to leap on, you know, inauthenticity, mm-hmm. you know, if you're not giving a nuanced look at your climbing, you know, yeah. Well, yeah. what's the pressure there to perform and how are you handling that now that you're an adult? Yeah. But it's also kind of higher than it was when you were 14. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. The stakes are <laughs> definitely a little bit higher. This is, you know, my, what I've turned into my career. So right. definitely matters a lot more. Uh, but I always adhere to that lesson that I learned when I was 14, which was, uh, say that again. <laughs> I always bless you. (laughs) Um, So uh, I always adhere to that. Justin, I was in here. God, James, be quiet. Yes, I always adhere to that lesson that I learned when I was Mm fourteen, which was to just climb for myself and to keep that uh, motivation true. because what happened when I stopped climbing for myself, when I started climbing for everyone else around me, um, that's when that insane pressure started to evolve. And, um, and that's when I started to get that desire to cheat and to lie. So when I f- think, when I start feeling the pressures from uh, the outside world now, as far as you know, trying to be authentic, trying to uh, go after big goals and to you know, stay inspiring people and to keep my sponsors happy, it's like, okay, why am I really climbing? I'm trying to climb for myself. What makes me happy? What do I want to do? Because if I start thinking, what do other people want me to do? 
that's where the authenticity is lost. Right. And then it's all for nothing. Right. So as long as I have to, I just have to keep reminding myself, what, what am I getting out there for? What is making me happy? Because that's how I'm going to inspire other people. Let me push a little harder. That, that's definitely, you know, the philosophy to live by, you know, the, and the climbing for yourself versus your sponsors versus what other, other people want. That's always been the, you know, the kind of Holy grail. And yet, you know, like a lot of life philosophies, you're not always a hundred percent able to, to, to toe the line, mm-hmm. you know? So with, with that said, as your overriding philosophy, are you that able? I mean, how are you with rising above it? Like, the internet can can get after you you know people can you know be downright mean or question your motivation and if you're like a monk you know in some monastery in in tibet yeah it probably doesn't bother you Mm -hmm. but you know what what do you do with that are you really able to just be like no i'm not reading it or do you look at it Do, do you internalize any of it um, um I, i've been wanting to ask actually a lot of professional climbers this uh because it can be you know it can be another pressure are you and talking a, specifically about the internet or just like anything well if you're putting out social media mm-hmm. which you're you're if not required to do i mean yeah, it's it's part sure. of your job you know most of the time there's there's feedback on those sorts of things if you're in magazines yeah and these days it's through the internet it used to be like letters to the editor or whatever mm-hmm. which was like much nicer because it wasn't so instantaneous so you know are you by and large getting good feedback when you get some troll on you? Do yeah. you just like throw it off or, or? I to be honest, I have been fortunate to not have had to deal with too many trolls. Okay. Um I and this is on the internet specifically. Right. Like I uh I get a lot of positive, positive feedback mm-hmm. um, from everything that I post. Uh, I, I mean, I have some people being like, oh, you know, this is this is um, posed, this is fake, uh, you're not really up there on the wall. That, mm-hmm. You know, which it's one comment out of hundreds. Right. And that's enough. It's really easy to focus on that one negative comment. Mm-hmm. But then you just look at the, all the other positive ones and you're like, mm, you know, whatever that's just one but at the same time it's important to not totally disregard the negative comment because it's feedback right negative feedback is it can be as constructive as positive feedback right um so when people when people start saying oh this looks posed or this is fake or like you know you're not actually training or doing any of this stuff it's like well why do they think that Mm -hmm. like what is making them uh doubt what i'm doing right um and I just, I, I try and think about it constructively because everyone on the internet, it's so easy to be a troll. It's so easy to be mean and to just say whatever the first thing comes to mind. And I've, I've been guilty of that. You know, I've totally been a troll on the internet and just said mean <laughs> shit. <laughs> it's like, uh, um, and I, I'm not proud of it. You know, it's definitely, um, uh, there have been times where I've been in a weird emotional place and I take it out on other people on the internet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then I t- take a step back and I'm thinking, why have I said these things on the internet? So when the positions are reversed, I think, why are these people saying these things to me? Um, and how can I change that in a way that's positive for mm-hmm. me? Um, so yeah, any any negative stuff on the internet, I always take everything with a grain of salt, and I don't. I try and not let it affect me too much emotionally. Um, it's just just like take it all as logically as possible. So uh, a kind of on a different tact, um, sort of a big broad question is why climbing? Like why do you think 
of all the paths you know you could have taken when you were a kid and the things you could do uh, for you personally what is it about climbing that a captured you and still continues to capture you and maybe maybe it's different maybe your motivations when you were 12 mm-hmm. i mean of, of course they're somewhat different but maybe the basis of them are different and it's evolved yeah. in a certain way actually this is kind of interesting it's something i've been thinking about a lot recently in that i first got into climbing and started climbing because i was good at it uh i had tried soccer i had tried ballet i was swimming um and i tried climbing randomly and out of all the different sports i was dabbling in i was naturally and immediately good at climbing So when my mom finally said, hey, you got to pick one sport, I went with the thing that I was good at Mm -hmm. because it gave me validation. And it was it was easy for me at the time. And uh, I got into bouldering because it was the most accessible. You know, it was social. I get to hang out with my friends and it was all very easy for me, Um, easy to get into competitions, not easy necessarily to compete and not easy to train. But um, it just all came so naturally and mm-hmm. I felt like I didn't have to work as hard for it as opposed to something I was bad at like basketball or soccer or anything like that. Um, and that's honestly followed me throughout my whole climbing career until very recently uh, when I started getting into high ball bouldering and facing those fears a little bit uh, and then into track climbing, something that I'm not naturally good at, something that I'm totally new at, in fact, and had to learn kind of from square one. Uh, just the, this concept of uh, needing m- something more fulfilling from my climbing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I started getting a little bit, I don't think bored is the word with bouldering, but I just didn't feel fulfilled. That's the best way I can really describe it. So when I started seeking out trad climbing, um, getting to the top of a 510 crack in Yosemite or Indian Creek, you know, number wise and grade wise, it's, it doesn't seem like very hard compared to like a V13 boulder or V12 boulder or whatever. But I felt so much more satisfaction fighting that because it was hard for me and I had to really work at it. Um, so getting that reward um, and experiencing that in my climbing is something I'm really striving towards right now. So when you're thinking about that motivation, do you sort of see yourself, you know, expanding that to like big kind of adventure climbing? Mm-hmm. Um, is that sort of in your like living in the dirt out in the boonies kind of life or at least trips and adventure? Um, is that something that like is in your yes. in your makeup somewhere? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, for whatever reason, in bouldering, I was never interested in first ascents. Um, I don't know for a number of reasons. There, because bouldering is so accessible and there's so many bouldering areas out there, there's so many problems to do, why not go and do them? Why go out and search for something new? Uh, and that's like the lazy part of me talking. But uh, some, there's something about big walls and something about first ascent traditional lines or sport lines, uh, not even sport lines, more like the big mountains where there's this big, crazy adventure waiting to happen. And I want to be able to look at a mountain and see a crack and think, I just want to go out and climb it. And I know that putting up first ascents in that atmosphere are a thousand times harder than putting up a bouldering first ascent. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's also what's kind of attractive about it. It's, it's, you have to put so much work into, uh, this one objective um, and it's really really difficult but I think the the feeling of reward is so much greater I wanted to ask you a little bit about um, about gender uh, and maybe it's always been a big debate but it seems like there's a lot going on right now with talking about sort of 
women's place in climbing versus men, all that sort of thing. And, and in, you know, anybody sort of looking at it objectively, there are, there's, there's gender issues in our world mm-hmm. outside of climbing, inside of climbing. Yeah. But I think like right now we're in a, like as good a spot as we've ever been in terms of opportunities for women professionally as, as performance athletes. Um, I don't know about in the rest of the industry, but, and I ask women climbers when I have them on here a lot is, you know, is that sort of role model or the gender issue, uh, it sounds like it it kind of popped up again back when you were a kid Mm -hmm. that wasn't that long ago, you know, your, your middle twenties right now. Mm -hmm. Is that something that's on your mind in terms of your professional face or your personal beliefs, um, or on the other side of the coin, which I, I get sometimes, are you just a climber and you're like, I don't, I climb with dudes, I climb with girls, I don't care. Like, yeah. I don't, it's not something I want to sort of deal with. Where, where do you sort of live on that spectrum? Yeah, it's definitely something that's on my mind um, because I have had a lot of female climbers go up to me and tell their stories and say, I, you know, I felt really intimidated in the gym. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I can't relate to male climbers because I don't have their physique or their type of beta, you know, I, I, and women tell me that they feel inspired by other female climbers because we are women, um, which is, you know, totally makes sense, right? Yeah. Females inspire females and vice versa. Um, and the whole concept, like, I feel like there's two opposing sides, right? There's one side that are saying the FFA needs to, the first female ascent needs to be recognized because other women need to be inspiring women mm-hmm. and we're different from men. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just not, if, because you're a man, you just can't understand what it's like to be a female and you can't understand our, our perspective, blah, blah, blah. And then there's the other camp that are saying, well, there's equality, right? Men and women are equal. There's no reason why women can't climb as hard as men. Women are just holding themselves back with this mindset and we all just need to treat each other the same. And I think that both sides are correct and incorrect. It's like, it's not a matter of right or wrong. Mm -hmm. It's about taking mindsets from both camps and combining them in the middle. So for me, I, I do know that women are physiologically different. We have different bodies, you know, we, um, have different physical makeups and that's just science. Uh, that doesn't mean that women can't climb as hard as men. That's already been proven wrong, in fact. But it also means that women, um, you know, it, it's totally understandable that women feel intimidated by men because the majority of women do not climb as hard as men. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, we're not all Alex Puccio. We're not all Ashima. So uh, when women feel intimidated by men uh, and say that they don't feel equal, that's something to take into account. Right. Uh, and I want to help women feel comfortable and confident in themselves to where they don't feel intimidated at the gym or at the crag going into a group of men and being like, oh, well, I don't feel, I don't climb as well as these men. I don't feel as strong. Maybe I shouldn't climb them. No, like, you take care of yourself. You know, you, you can be equal in these men to these men mentally. Uh, if you just go out and just strut your stuff, you know, it, right. it, it doesn't matter physically. It's they all, it's all mental. They'll, make them, <laughs> they'll feel great. Especially bouldering. Uh-huh. They'll feel fantastic. Yeah. After a good solid session with Calouse, like <laughs> you'll feel really good about yourself that you're climbing really well. So that's yeah. kind of the key. And I'm joking, but you know, I, I hear about this, uh, this intimidation, right? And, and I say, I hear about it, 
because yeah, I can't, I can't necessarily put myself into their shoes, but in some ways I can, because, you know, any sport, especially these individual sort of, um, you know, where individual performance is super important. There's a, you know, you go into a scene with dudes and maybe this is the same with women, but there's a pecking order. And so it's like, I feel for women walking into this group of dudes and kind of feeling intimidated. But the truth is, is that the dudes walking into the groups of dudes feel intimidated as well. Mm -hmm. And I think the, the, the problem is, is that when you're talking about differences is that mindset is something that we're used to. Like we're used to being there and being like, okay, even if it's not overt, you're like, okay, that guy's really good. I'm probably like, okay, sort of in the, his camp over there. Mm -hmm. We're doing it, but we've been doing it since we were four years old. And I think that's one of the big problems is that it's not, I don't know, and maybe you can, can speak to this, but I don't feel like it's this, I know it's not the same kind of mindset that a woman walking into a group of women necessarily has. I think there's tinges of it, yeah. but yeah. It, it's like pretty overt with dudes. Right. Mm -hmm. Whether you're on the soccer team, whether you're at a, at a business meeting, I mean, that's kind of how we operate. Yeah. And so, yeah, there's like this, there's this dissonance that's happening where I, I could walk in with that, that woman who's feeling really intimidated. And if we, if we were able to talk about it, I'd be like, yeah. I'm yeah. intimidated. These right. guys crush. Like, of mm -hmm. course I'm intimidated. Yeah. But they honestly, take it one way and I take it another way. But women feel the same way. Women do feel the same way walking into a group of women. Mm -hmm. That's why the whole intimidation factor, I don't think, is gender-based. Mm -hmm. It's just okay. natural. It's just natural. Especially with climbing, with, there's just like all these big egos as mm -hmm. far as who's stronger mm -hmm. than who and who can do what. Uh, it's not gender-based. It's just like ego-based. Right. <laughs> yeah, everyone's kind of scared walking into a new environment and being like, oh, I I don't know. Like, I'm not comfortable here. Uh, I'm kind of scared. And it's easy to blame it on the fact that, oh, well, I'm, I'm a woman in a group mm -hmm. of men or I'm a dude and I'm a man in a group of women. Like, I just feel uncomfortable. But it's really it's just human beings being uncomfortable in this weird right. situation. And well, and the other thing, too, is that, like, if I if I, you know, been having climbed as long as I've been climbing, like there's these behaviors and. I think they get sort of stereotyped when, when people sort of write about this issue or whatever, you know, where it's that, it's that like gorilla guy and he's shirts off and he's like spraying bait at everybody. And like, you know, that's not gender based either. That guy's a douche. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. yep. I, I sure. think he is too. And he's not doing it necessarily to get on your nerves or to put you down. He's, He's doing it to me. I mean, he's trying to get the whole group to like get into their place. He's the he's the the you know what do they call those big gray the silver? He's the big silverback gorilla, silver, uh -huh, right? Yeah. So you know, and, and it's funny I say that because I mean we're we're like we're dealing with some of these same impulses. We just think we're since we're humans, they're like gone, but they're not gone. Mm -hmm. You know, he's pounding his chest just as much for me as he is for, for women. And I find it just as problematic to be <laughs> honest with you, you know? Uh -huh. So I just, yeah, like I like talking about this and, and the reason I'm bringing my points up is because of what you said about this middle ground of like, you know, there are these gender issues. There are men and women who, who are being intimidated and, you know, maybe even a slightly you know, sexual way or whatever. And that's not something to like blow off. Mm -hmm. But then there's also, you know, attributing gender issues where they aren't. 
so right. to speak. And yes. like I said, the guy's a douche. Like we're, we can all we can all sit down in a group of women and men and agree. Uh-huh. You know that yeah. sleeveless dude with he's he's a jerk. Yeah, right? he's not just being sexist. Right, he's right, just exactly. Being a, so. Yeah. Well, interesting. I, I, you know, I, I, like I said, I'm, I'm always interested in talking to women climbers. I don't have as many on here as, as men, uh, just, just out of numbers game, logistics game, but, mm-hmm. um, I'm, I'm kind of curious. And then the other question I had, and, and we'll kind of start to wrap it up, but going back to your competition, we we were talking about sort of good parts and bad parts of this competition. Uh, did you feel anything like specific in terms of, um, in terms of pressures, you know, body image pressures or anything like that, that can come out of, out of uh, like these team games and these competition games, because there is a parallel when you when you start thinking about like kids, boys and girls who are like climbing from a super early age, you know. Then I'm always thinking of like the, you know, the the ballet prodigies and the gymnastics prodigies in terms of women and the pressures put on those kids. And I, I don't know if it's like as prevalent, but as I start to think about how many teams there are and how many competitions there are and how many crazy parents there are, that's got to be starting to happen in, in these climbing teams and these comp areas that are really big, mm-hmm. you know. So was did you have anything like that in your life or did you see anything like that going on in terms of like that crazy you know, reality show, like pressure on yeah. kids to perform yeah, for specifically sure. girls. Yeah. It's, it's definitely more prevalent. Um, in these days and will become more prevalent as climbing is taken more seriously as well. Now the Olympic, now, now that you've yeah, got now like the Olympics an, if, are if we have an Olympic track, then, you know, that's where those stories come out of. Yeah. Right? And it's a product of that burning desire to win, to be mm-hmm. the best. You know, how am I going to get that first place podium? What do I have to do? You know, you can train your ass off, but there are other things like dieting and like th- this fixation with food that can really affect performance as well. And the, the simple truth of rock climbing in general, whether it's youth or adults, if you weigh less, you're going to climb more easily. You don't have as much weight to carry around with you. And um, I've seen that uh, that concept being applied through crash dieting, through um, eating disorders. Uh, this isn't anything personal, so I don't want to really project opinions about it because I, I haven't personally exper- experienced it. Um, but I, you know, I did have one, one time when I was a youth climber and I was talking to one of my coaches and, and, you know, he, he, it was coming from a good place. He, we were talking about what it would take to win. And he said, you know, you have to pay attention to your diet. Um, you have to start, uh, thinking about what you put into your body. Um, which is all true, but then he started saying things like dieting will help you climb better. And he was using the, the word specifically dieting. Mm-hmm. And I was with my mom at the time, and I could tell she was a little upset with the fact he was using the word dieting, talking to a teenage girl. I was probably, and this, yeah, I was like 13 or 14 at the well, time. Well, yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's fraught with, with danger. Right, at right. At that age, yeah. Um, and he, and my coach is also a vegetarian, very strong, strongly opinionated vegetarian. So he, and so he's very conscious about what he puts in his body and very, and very proud of that, which is totally cool. But um, he started getting on my case a little bit about that. And uh, we were at a restaurant and I was getting a little upset at how forward he was with, you know, using the word dieting and such. So I decided to order a really big, juicy hamburger. 
and I proceeded to eat it in front of him <laughs> just to prove a point mm -hmm. in that I was like, you know what? I'm not, uh, you know, I want to climb well and I want to do well in competitions, but I'm not going to obsess about my quote unquote diet. Right. Uh, I want to eat well, you know, I want to eat healthy, uh, but it's going to be part of my lifestyle. It's not going to be right. something that I will fixate in relation to competitions. And that's always been my mindset to this day. Uh, my, tra my training diet is I don't really have one. Um, I, when I try when I want to pay attention to my weight, I eat healthier foods. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll pay attention to portion sizes. I'm one of those people that can eat everything in one sitting kind of thing. <laughs> mm -hmm. So when I'm training, I think, okay, you know, I'm going to eat a smaller portion. I'll just pay attention to that a little bit more, but I've never fixated on calorie counting or anything like that mm -hmm. because it's, uh, A, I'm not disciplined enough and I don't want to be that disciplined because I really like food and I enjoy myself in that way. <laughs> right. And you're not competing right now? Uh, no, I'm not serious. I mean, you did the, you did the Yeah, I did the competitions. Day, yeah, that was kind of a showcase comp here. Yeah, yeah. Right. And I'll be doing nationals in February, okay. um, but competitions aren't my priority anymore. Right. Um, it's, this is a weird transition for me because competitions have always been a part of my life mm -hmm. and I'm finding it hard to step away from them because it, it's all, it's a habit at this point, you know, sure. nationals comes around. Mm -hmm. I'm like, yep, it's nationals time again, going to train and get in shape for that. But, uh, lately I've been having less fun in the competitions. Right. Um, you know, the next generation is up and coming. They're all super strong. Yeah, They've all been yeah I'm aging out <laughs> for sure. And it kind of sucks. You know, it sucks to suck. And it's no fun when you're not doing well and right. when you feel like you're not doing well. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I ask myself, you know, I'm, I'm like miserable right now, you know, uh, why am I still doing this? And I think, well, you know, it is fun to hang out with my friends and to like climb on all these new gym problems and compete in finals and stuff. But like at the end of the day, you know, when am I going to stop doing this? <laughs> right. <laughs> These comps and like get outdoors, which is what I really actually want to be doing. Yeah. So is that, that's kind of my last question. So what is like, if you could climb tomorrow anywhere for a day, what would that day look like? Oh man. Anywhere in the world. Sure. So this is interesting. My, my first flash thought okay, would be Rockland, South Africa, because it's my favorite, most favorite bouldering area. It's mm -hmm. my favorite place on earth. It's so beautiful and amazing. Um, but to be totally honest, my second thought would be Yosemite going out, like on trying Astro Man, getting out on the wall, uh, because it would be way more adventure right. style. And this is like this, this pull for me right now. Like I'm stuck in the middle of with bouldering and tri climbing mm -hmm. or like, uh, getting outside or doing competitions or like what it's like, I'm stuck in the middle right now. And I'm trying to figure out what I truly, truly want to do, um, as a climber. So, and that's, that's an ongoing question for me. So cool. again, flash thought would be Rocklands, but, uh, you know, yes, somebody's calling my name for sure. Cool. Uh, they just evacuated it though. <laughs> Shit. Did you know that? Of course I did. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I heard, so I heard Yosemite has a lot of flooding, right? Do you yeah. think the uh, lightning bolt got washed off of midnight lightning? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Somebody might have to go put it back on there. <laughs> cool. Well, thanks a lot for sitting down. Um, we got interrupted, but uh, we banged it out in true Norma Cast, like racing around fashion. Um, thanks a lot for sitting down. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks I have one last me. question, though, for you, because mm -hmm. the Norma Nation 
needs to know this. Mm-hmm. You have a boyfriend. Is this is this correct? Uh huh. I do have a boyfriend. Flat out BF. And flat what, out. Uh huh. What's it's his official. name? His name is James Lucas. All right, folks, thanks for listening, and thanks to Nina for sitting down and rolling with change of venue. And listen, if you guys enjoy the Enormacast and you want to support it, you want to help out, you can go to enormacast.com, my uh, simple website over there. Click on the Help Out tab and follow the directions. Write a review. Like the Facebook page. Maybe if you're feeling stoked, donate a little money if you want. You can also check out our sponsors including getting a discount at belayspecs.com or at peterwgilroy.com or at bonfirecoffee.com. All those places on the website, you can check it all out, click on the banners for information. So a few bucks or a little work from a lot of people keep this thing afloat. So please consider helping out. Okay, get out there, have some fun in the spring weather here in the West, if that's where you're at. And don't forget to check your knot. He's going to stiff me. And I say, hey, Lama, hey, how about a little something, you know, for the effort, you know. And he says, oh, uh, there won't be any money. But when you die on your deathbed, you will receive total consciousness. So I got that going for me, which is nice. <laughs>